Second and 26 is brought to you by GameTime, your new go-to app for the best deals on last-minute tickets. Did you know SEC football ticket prices tend to drop right before the game starts? GameTime tracks prices in real time from thousands of trusted sellers, then shows you all the best last-minute deals with prices up to 60% off. More than 12 million fans have downloaded the GameTime app and discovered the fastest, easiest way to get into the game. Checking out is a breeze on the GameTime app. Once you've pinpointed the seats you want, simply click the listing and check out. It's that simple. Use the GameTime two-step checkout system next time you're looking for great deals on tickets. So head to the App Store or Play Store now to download GameTime and score awesome deals on last-minute tickets. Welcome back in to Second and 26, your dedicated Alabama podcast here on The Athletic. It's Monday, and that means it's a free edition of the podcast. I'm Aaron Suttles, the Alabama beat writer for The Athletic. I'm also the co-host of Three Man Front on WJOX 94.5, Mondays through Fridays from 10 to 2. Central time here in the Birmingham market. Give it a listen. Hope you do. Hope you like it. Hope you're enjoying the podcast we've been bringing to you all season. Again, Mondays are the free episodes. Fridays for subscribers only. And we got a little bit of news. Alabama got its bowl assignment. And I hope you like Disney World in January. What? Who doesn't like Disney? It's the happiest place on earth. How can you not like Disney? Because Alabama is going to the Citrus Bowl on January 1st. And they'll face off with a fellow Blue Blood, the Michigan Wolverines. Now, the last time these two teams met, Alabama put a whooping on the Maize and Blue. Uh, I believe that game was in uh, Dallas, Texas, or just outside Dallas, Texas, in Jerry World. A.J. McCarron and that 2012 Alabama team tore those Wolverines a new one. Brady Hoke was coaching that team. But now it's, now it's Jim Harbaugh. But we get Alabama-Michigan – which is sort of a, a good bowl game. And if you've looked across at all the bowl games this year, you know, outside of the college football playoff, woof, there are not, there are not a lot of great bowl games on this season. Uh, at least in terms of uh, you look at it in matchups that you would enjoy or a lot of, a lot of games that you would say, man, that, that one on paper looks great. But, but this one is one of them. Alabama, the number 13 team in the country, Michigan, number 14, Alabama, finished the season 10-2. and two. It was the, the first time since, really, the college football playoff. Obviously, they missed the playoff. They missed the New Year's Six Bowl. And it the, the, the parallels to that 2010 Alabama season continues, where a ton of talent and you feel like you, you missed an opportunity. Alabama, I think is going to be feeling that way for a while about this uh, 2019 season that, that really sort of got away from them. They had a chance, and you look at the way that the, the the conference championship Saturday ended. You know, it got started on that Friday night with Utah losing, which would have opened the door, you know, for Alabama to get in there. But, it, but Alabama can't rewrite history. Alabama lost to Auburn by three points. But what's... What's bizarre to me, and I, I want to talk about this a little later, but the, the dropping in the ranking, I'll, I'll, I'll get to that in a second. But Alabama in the Citrus Bowl, what do you guys think? Is this, is this a matchup that excites you? Is it a – you going to go to the Citrus Bowl? You going to be there? I mean, Alabama started the season 
in that stadium last year. Remember, they went down there and played Louisville, and they'll end uh, they'll end the the next season there here uh, this season in the same stadium against Michigan, which has played up and down this year. There were times that they did not look good, and there were times they looked okay. Obviously, um, lost again to Ohio State. So it's a team that, um, unlike Alabama, hasn't really played for a lot of a lot of uh, meaningful games in the Jim Harbaugh era, and it, it sort of we view it fairly or unfairly, given on your level of expectation for that program. We sort of judge Jim Harbaugh as underperforming is that is that too is that too harsh the fact that he has not won the Big Ten East yet in his in his years there in Ann Arbor he hasn't been to a Big Ten championship game he obviously hasn't won the Big Ten he hasn't been to the college football playoff I would think given that he's paid among the top two or three coaches in the country that that sort of um, that's not commiserate with the other coaches that he's in line with in terms of salary, because those coaches have won. When you look at what Dabo Sweeney makes, he's he's won titles. When you look at Jimbo Fisher, yeah, he's not having great years at Texas A&M so far, but he's been to the college football playoff. He's won a BCS national championship. He's he's got some hardware. Um, you know, Kirby Smart at least has has won the SEC. He's played for it a few times. He's been to the college football playoff. I would argue at this point, Dan Mullen is closer to achieving some of these goals of conference and division titles in, in college fall playoff than Michigan is. And so that sort of informs our decision on and our opinion of what we think of Jim Harbaugh. And, and let's, let's, let's be honest about this. What also shapes our opinion about Jim Harbaugh is, is really a, a dust-up that, that he had, oh, I guess it was three and a half years ago, Um. It doesn't feel like that long ago, but it, it, it was. You guys remember the, the hot topic, hot button issue of the day when this whole thing got started between Harbaugh and Saban and Harbaugh and the SEC was, do you remember the term satellite camps? Like for one summer, that was like the storyline in college football. I mean, it dominated SEC spring meetings. It dominated SEC media days. And then it just went away because it really wasn't that big a deal. But satellite camps were a big thing that that, that Jim Harbaugh was going to come down and run satellite camps. And we got that great – you guys remember the picture that we that came out? We, we had a picture of Jim Harbaugh in Prattville, Alabama, running a satellite camp, and he's out there with no shirt on. You guys remember that picture? Well, that I mean – he was sort of the driving force for that. He was trying to get recruiting ramped up for the Wolverines and and they don't have his natural recruiting base as, you know, teams in the South. They don't have the proximity to elite talent in numbers the way that we do down here in the South. Now, there are certainly great football players in Michigan, there are great football players in Pennsylvania and Ohio and, and there are just not the in in the in the numbers that we see in Louisiana and Texas and in Alabama, Georgia, Florida. We have we have a proximity to a lot more elite talent in in big numbers than Michigan. So it you know no one faults him for 
for trying to create some advantage for his program by doing these satellite camps. But Nick Saban didn't like him. I remember, you know, Nick Saban was talking at spring meetings and he <laughs> and he sort of got on one of his uh, one of his patented rants. He, he says, I go to a camp and I'm talking to some guy I don't know from Adam's house cat. And he's representing some kid but he, because he put a camp on. And then I'm in trouble for talking to this guy. And who even knows if the guy paid to go to the camp? Is the NCAA going to do that? And then Nick Saban continued because he was basically asked a question about satellite camps because this is what Jim Harbaugh was doing. So, you know, someone asked him about Jim Harbaugh and he said, look, I'm, I'm not blaming Jim Harbaugh. I'm not saying anything about him. I'm just saying it's bad for college football. Jim Harbaugh can do whatever he wants to do. I'm not saying anything bad about him if he thinks that's what's best. There needs to be somebody that looks out for what's best for the game, not what's best for the Big Ten or what's best for the SEC. And that's sort of, if you've ever studied Nick Saban on these big, broad issues that, that surround college football, he's very philosophical that way. He's always looking out for, quote-unquote, what he feels is best for the game, not maybe, not, not what may be best for one respective program but uh when when that when that quote Nick Saban's rant blew up on social media Jim Harbaugh went to work it it, it took him very little, it took him very little time to uh, to go on to Twitter and and he he composed this tweet it's amazing to me Alabama broke NCAA rules and now their head coach is lecturing us on the possibility of rules being broken at camps Truly amazing. So <laughs> then, you know, then the, the Nick Saban was asked by by Chris Lowe of ESPN, who who Saban has sort of let into his inner sanctum and of of media he lets get close. And he says, I don't really care what Jim Har Jim Harbaugh thinks or what he tweets. I say what I think is best for college football and the players. So there's that backstory to to this matchup. Now we had the coaches teleconference for the citrus bowl on Sunday afternoon. And both, both coaches sort of, you know, went political speech. They just went coach speak that they both have a, a great deal of respect for the other. And Jim Harbaugh really laid it on thick for Nick Saban and his program, given some of the criticism that Jim Harbaugh has had about Nick Saban. We just, Heard him say, accused Alabama of being rule breakers and Nick Saban of being a hypocrite. But uh, he didn't address he didn't address any of that in his press conference. Probably nor should he have. Um, you know, it's not the time or the place. But but this is a Jim Harbaugh for a while was a very outspoken coach. We don't get as much of it now. It's not getting as much national attention because he hasn't he hasn't won anything. He hasn't achieved anything. Listen, Michigan's been a good football program under him. He's revived Michigan to be a respectable football program. There are no more 500 seasons for Michigan. But they're not winning the big games like everyone predicted there was. I remember it wasn't long ago, two, three, maybe three years ago. I mean, USA Today put out a headline that said, Jim Harbaugh is the king of college football. And the whole premise of the article is that he got attention in the offseason. That's not what makes a king of college football. you got to win something, don't you? You got to put some jewels on your hands. You got to put some some bling on your hands. Put some trophies in your trophy case. That makes you a king. You're not a king because you, you bump your gums. 
and you get some headlines in, in the off season when people arrive out just about anything. Listen, you want to get some attention. You get in like May, June, July when there's not much college football and you say something controversial. People will beat down your door to write a story about you. That doesn't make you the king. That makes you an opportunist, like an, an opportunistic guy. An opportunist. There's nothing wrong with that, but don't tell me he's the king. He still doesn't want anything. He hasn't even won the Big Ten East. He's not even won his division. You can't be the king. So we haven't heard much from, from old Mr. Harbaugh lately. And But you can guarantee one thing. You can guarantee one thing. If Harbaugh in Michigan beats Alabama on January 1st, Mr. Harbaugh will be bumping those gums. He will give you any quote that you want. And he probably should run with it if they do beat Alabama. He should probably make it a huge deal. It matters in recruiting. It matters in the perception of the Big Ten. But if, they, if, if they're able to pull that upset, which I believe Alabama is a seven or an eight-point favorite, you know, it's really tough right now for the odds makers to set this line because we don't know who's going to play in the game. We don't know how many of these juniors from Alabama are going to play, how many are going to set out and start getting ready for the NFL draft. We don't know any of that. And I've wrote, I wrote an article on The Athletic about, about this very topic, about the juniors and how many might sit out that might, that might inform you a little bit. So if you subscribe, you've probably already read it. If not, you know, make yourself a note. And as soon as this podcast is over, go read it. If you're not, then what are you waiting for? Subscribe to The Athletic. It's great. It's wonderful. The technology is superb. The best mobile experience you're ever going to have for a sports site. And it's very, very reasonable and very, very affordable. Help keep me employed. Thank you. That's my sales pitch for today. But seriously, go read the article. I, I, I'm one of the first out there that's sort of laying the groundwork for what could be coming. Now, there have been people uh, since I wrote that yesterday that have sort of picked that up and are running with it in, in a very one end of the scale sort of way. I'm, I'm very much reserved, but I sort of, I sort of lead you to the water and I'm going to let you drink for yourself. I think you're all very smart. And if I point you in directions, I, you know, right now when it's a little premature to be talking about 100% certainty of what, what, what individuals may be deciding on very, very complex issues in which they're getting feedback from multiple individuals with multiple agendas. I'm not going to tell you what's going to happen because I don't know, because right now some of them don't know. But I, I, I lay the groundwork for what's going on behind the scenes and what you maybe can expect and what might be happening. And hopefully you enjoy it. And if not, please subscribe and go look at it. One thing that, ups, that upset me, not really upset, that's not right the word. One thing I found a little discouraging, and maybe it's because I've never had to deal with this aspect of the college football playoff committee because every other year I've covered, Alabama's been in it. So my attention has been on Alabama's opponent and Alabama's health, and very much focused on covering a team that's playing in games that very much matter to the country. So my my attention has not been on the minutia, so to speak. But, and I'll, I'll admit straight up, I'm probably not objective on this. And for good reason. I, I, I don't know that I can be objective on this particular issue because I've covered every game Alabama's played this year. I know this team inside now. So when you tell me that this team with all of this talent, with all the adversity that they've had to face is the number 13 team in the country, you lose a little bit of credibility with me. Now I understand why 
the committee felt they had to put them there, but it doesn't hold up under scrutiny. And it just, it just doesn't to, to rank a team 13 who lost by five points to the number one team in the country in a very back and forth game in a game in which its quarterback was not a hundred percent healthy. Okay. They lost that game to the number one team in the country by five points. And then they lost on the road to the number 12 team in the country by three points in a game in which should have gone to overtime and some fluky things happened. And you're telling me that's the 13th team in the country. But then on the same hand, you're telling me that the number five team in the country, a team that your committee chairman told us after the fact was strongly considered for the number four spot. I say again, Georgia was considered even after getting blown out by LSU for the number four spot. You're telling me that number five can lose it home to a bad South Carolina team and then get blown out in a conference championship game. Basically you had a home field advantage. It's in your backyard about an hour, hour and a half from Athens and Atlanta. You lose those two games and you're the number five team on the verge of making the playoff. Meanwhile, Alabama loses to the number one team by five points and the number 12 team by three points, and they're 13? That doesn't compute. It doesn't compute, and the only thing that makes sense to me is you're telling me that resume is king. You're telling me that resume is everything, and I would counter with resume should mean an awful lot. It should matter what you've banked. In other words, if you've banked good wins throughout your season, it should matter. It should absolutely matter. I'm not discounting that fact, and Georgia's got three outstanding wins. They got a win over Notre Dame. They got a win over Florida and they got a win over Auburn. Those are three, not just good wins, great wins. Those are, so I understand it's not even the fact that you got Georgia five. If you want to put a two loss Georgia team ahead of Alabama, I got no problem, but how can one be five and one be 13? There's a big disparity there. That's punitive to Alabama in my estimation, but you're telling me the committee's telling me that that resume is king and resume should mean a lot, but it's not everything. Part of that should be how you're playing at the time as well. Part of that should be the quote unquote eye test. And I'm sorry, Georgia didn't close the season playing particularly strong. Part of that is certainly due to injury. The wide receiving core being pretty much wiped out. Something's up with Jake Fromm. A swift is banged up, but how you're playing should also be a part of it. You can bank all the great wins early in the season you want, but if you're not the same team at the end of the scene, at the end of the season that you were at the beginning of the season, when you banked all those wins, what does it matter? All that's to say is you can't use one metric. College football is, is very varied because there's no equitable scheduling and there can't be equitable scheduling for 65 power five football teams. It's not possible. So you have to use different metrics for different teams and it doesn't always hold up like this week resume could be king for one team and the next week it could be the eye test for another and the next week it could flip flop. So me trying to learn anything from the final rankings of 2019 and applying it through reason and logic toward any ranking in 2020 is probably dumb on my part because it's not the same. 
But that's what we try to do with this committee. And I'm trying to make sense of why Alabama's 13. And I can't. You can listen. You can sit here and tell me all day long they didn't play anybody. I know. I covered every one of these games. I know they didn't play anybody. But it should also matter how you play against really good teams too, right? I just watched Georgia get blown off the field by LSU. I watched Alabama play a really competitive game down to the last second. I haven't, listen, my problem is not with Georgia. My problem is with you're telling me Georgia's five on the verge of being included in the college football playoff, and then there's 13 Alabama. It's a big jump from five to 13 on two teams that have pretty similar win-losses and all that. Alabama's schedule hurt it this year, but Alabama's schedule wasn't going to matter if they had one less loss. So, and, and that loss was only by three points. I, I'm trying to apply lo- rationale. I'm trying to apply logic to it. And it doesn't make sense. <coughs> and it, and it, it just won't make sense. So that's where we are. The SEC has welcomed some new coaches. It's going to be a new look SEC for some teams next year. The biggest splash, obviously, is the Lane Train, Lane Kiffin. Back in the SEC, he'll be coaching the Old Miss Rebels. There's a lot of um, interesting storylines around that, and hopefully you'll be able to read about it soon enough. And um, I might have a story coming out on that. We'll we'll let you know. But there's um, there's always a lot of interest. There's always a lot of drama, but there's always a lot of interest around Lane Kiffin, and we will follow that closely. And um, Arkansas reaches within the conference and steals Georgia's offensive line coach, Sam Pittman. Sam Pittman is the new Arkansas Razorbacks coach. Uh, Auburn just lost its offensive coordinator. Uh, he's Kenny Dillingham is going to go to Tallahassee with Mike Norvell, and he'll be their offensive coordinator there for Florida State. So Auburn's looking for an offensive coordinator, and reports were out today that former Arkansas coach, Chad Morris might be might be in line for that. So, uh, and then you look at Missouri, uh, Missouri hiring Eli Drinkowitz, who's a fast, very fast riser right now for uh, in, in the coaching world. He's at Missouri, so uh, a lot to keep up with as as we go through these SEC coaching hires. I'll be back later in the week with another edition of Second and Twenty Six. Thanks for listening. Catch you again. Mm-hmm.